was for 2013? Selfie. Selfie, right. And last year? Last year, 2012, what was the word of the year? What's that? No, it was GIF, okay. Now we're going to go all the way back to 2009, okay. See if you can get this one, okay. Real word nerd would know this. What was the word of the year in 2009? Anybody know? It's a word that has to do with social media, okay. What, what's that? Yeah. No, how about, and it has to do with Facebook. It's something with Facebook. Unfriend was the word of the year um, by Oxford English Dictionary, okay? Now, I want you to think how powerful that is because before we had that word, if you had a friend and you didn't want that person to be your friend anymore, it was a very long and arduous process, okay? You had to snub them. You had to ignore them. You had to talk about them behind their back. It could take months. It could take years to get them off your friend list. But now, with the simple click of a button, boom, you have unfriended that person. I mean, they've just posted way too many annoying, amazing <laughs> posts about their amazing trips and their amazing kids, and you're sick of it, boom, you unfriend them. They're gone, okay? You don't have to read their feed anymore. Um, well, <clears throat> I think there's something deeper at work here, okay? And something deeper is there's something really not just a corruption of language, a degeneration of language, but also just something I think that's deeper at work in our culture. And that is when you can unfriend somebody and friend somebody with the click of a button, there's something wrong with those words. You know, we used to have an old word that we don't use very much anymore, and that's the word, not the word unfriend, but the word befriend somebody. I mean, how often have you used that word? The word befriend was actually a, to befriend somebody was something that was, involved a process, often a process of taking risks and of engaging with somebody. It was hard work to befriend somebody. You didn't just do it with a click of a button. It was hard work to befriend somebody, to be a friend, to literally become a friend to somebody. Um... Something is wrong with the way we view friendship. There's something's wrong with friendship in our culture. Actually, they, researchers have tracked this for 20 years. And over the last 20 years, the circle of what we would call close friends, especially in, in America, in the West, the, the, the circle of close friends has shrunk by 33% on average. So we used to have three people that we called close friends. Now we have two. And 25% of Americans surveyed said they had nobody to call if they were in a crisis. They would have no idea who to call. Now, um, interesting article in the New York Times, a writer named Alex Williams, he said, he put it this way, in your 30s and 40s, plenty of new people into your life through work, children's play dates, and of course, Facebook. But actual close friends, the kind you make in college, the kind you could call in a crisis, those are in shorter supply. Well, so we, we have a little bit of a crisis of friendship, a shrinkage of friendship, a degeneration of friendship. There's at least two possible responses to this, probably more, but let me just talk about two. One is we could say, you know, well, that's, yeah, that's sad. I wish I had more friends. Um, who doesn't? 
but life is crazy. Life is busy, you know. Um, if you're married, uh, you know, I, I can, you might say I can be friends with my spouse. I, I hope that works, you know. Um, but um, beyond that, you know, uh, just, you know, it's nice. Friends are nice. But it's kind of a luxury in the midst of our busy culture. So it's sad, but it's just the way life is. Kind of a stoic approach towards shrinkage, friendship, shrinkage of friendship. The second response, which I think is the Christian response, the biblical response, the response that we're going to see in this passage from Philippians, and that is a response that it's, it's not just sad, but it's tragic. It is a tragedy. It is a tragedy that requires, I don't know about for you, but for me in my life, it's required repentance and a reordering of my life and my priorities and what I think is really important in life. So friendship, Lent, they kind of go together. It's kind of a good theme for Lent and to think about where you're at. See, I would say based on this text that, we're gonna, that we heard um, uh, just done dramatically so well and that we're going to look at in just a minute here, I would say this text, friendships undergird the kind of community that changes the world. So friendship is one of those main pillars that holds up community. We talk about community. We talk about how important community is. But what is community built on? Well, it's built on marriages and families, and that's incredibly important. And that's an essential pillar. But it's also built on friendship. That is also an essential pillar, and I would argue it's just as essential, biblically speaking. So let me talk about, as we walk through this passage, I'm going I'm to talk three things about friendship. I'm going to talk about the beauty of friendship, uh, the mission of friendship, those are the first two things. And then I'm also going to talk about the risks of friendship. That friendship is a risky endeavor. And you can get hurt. And you can get killed in a friendship. Okay? Because of a friendship. Hopefully not. Um, the friendship won't kill you. But the risk of being in a friendship. So first is the beauty of friendship. Now, I just want to back up and look at this passage. And you have it here in your, your bulletin. And I'll be referring to some verses here. So... Um, as Father Aaron has been going through this, you probably know, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who was in prison. Um, he was in prison for his faith in Christ, and he didn't know whether he's going to get out of prison alive or not. So he's wondering, am I going to get my head chopped off? Am I going to die in prison? Or am I going to get out of prison? So he's writing a letter to this church hundreds of miles away in this city called Philippi. And it's a church that he helped start. He planted the church, got it going, brought the people together, so he knows a lot of people there. And he's got two people with him, a young guy named Timothy and another guy named Epaphroditus, that we'll talk about. Epaphroditus is from the church in Philippi. He's come from the church in Philippi to visit Paul because they're worried about him and they want to encourage him, so they've come with a gift. They brought him a present. And Epaphroditus was the guy who brought the gift to Paul. And now he's going to be sent back with the letter that we call the book of Philippians. So that's the story. And Father Aaron last week preached on the first half of Philippians 2, which has this amazing section, which this incredible hymn, song, poetry about Jesus, talking about Jesus as the one who 
was in the very form of God, was God in the flesh, and yet he humbled himself, and he emptied himself, and he became obedient even to the point of death on the cross, and therefore God the Father has highly exalted him. It's this beautiful poetry, this beautiful hymn of, of Christ. And then we come to this passage, and honestly, this passage seems a little mundane. It's kind of like Paul's going, hey, I got this guy Timothy, and we're friends, and Timothy, I'm really glad he's here, and I'm going to send him to you, and, and hey, thanks for the gift, and uh, Paphroditus, oh, thanks for sending Paphroditus. Hey, by the way, he's sick, you know, he's sick, but I'm sending him back to you, and so here's his letter, you know, and it's just kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like going out to dinner at this really fancy restaurant, and you've had this amazing night, and you're like all dressed up, and you've been to a play or drama, or you've been to see Les Mis, or been out on Broadway, and then, and then you come back, and you got to do the dishes, you know? So this is the, I got to do the dishes kind of passage, you know? But what I want us to see is that verses 19 through 30, this passage flows right from verses 5 through 11. In other words, this beautiful picture of Christ, this beautiful picture of Christ as the exalted one who humbled himself, who came down to us, who lived as a human being, who, who even died on a cross, who became our servant, very God, becoming a servant of humanity. That picture leads to this, leads to mundane friends figuring out how to be friends in this culture. They are linked together. One, well, one flows to the other. So this en- entire passage is about friendship. Really, the whole book of Philippians is about friendship. You know, Paul in chapter 1, he opens up and he says, in this letter he's written, which Epaphroditus is going to carry back to the church, he says, I just want you to know I feel such affection for you guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's a heart thing. I feel for you guys. I miss you guys. I long to be with you. I mean, that's the language of friendship. Now, we could easily say, well, that's also the language of lovers, too. Yeah, but it's also the language of friendship. I miss you. I mean, it's not sexualized. We want to, in our culture, we always sexualize that. Somehow it's got to be kind of, there has to be a sexual motive to that. No, I just miss you, Paul says, and I long for you, and I want to be with you. And if I get out of this prison alive, I'm going to come and see you guys. And I can hardly wait to see you. And it's going to be a great reunion. Again, that is the language of friendship. And Paul is friends with Timothy. In, in verse 20, he says, um, For I have no one like him. I have no one like this guy. This guy's, in other words, this guy's really special to me. Again, this isn't sexualized. This is two men who are friends. I, 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 for I have no one like him. And then in verse 22, he goes on to say, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Again, this is the the language of friendship. Friendship builds. You befriend somebody by people you prove to each other that you're trustworthy, that you're reliable, that you care about each other, that you'll be there for each other. And that's what happened with Paul and Timothy. Now, the interesting thing is, is that they're from different generations. Paul is, you know, probably old enough to literally be his father. And he's become a spiritual father, but they're friends. You know, that's something beautiful that can happen in Christian community. People can literally be friends 
across generations. Um, second thing is, notice Paul is friends with Epaphroditus. And he says in verse 25, notice this, he calls him, he uses three words to call Epaphroditus. He says, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, and he's my fellow soldier. Now, we have to understand the background to this. Epaphroditus was a Gentile. He was raised in what was believed to be a pagan home. Jews and Gentiles had nothing to do with each other in that culture. Epaphroditus, he's named after Aphrodite, one of the Greek gods, goddesses. So he's got a very different background than Paul, and yet across culture, they've become friends. Another beautiful thing that happens in Christian community. It's not just one culture, different cultures. We can be friends against, uh, across culture. So the first thing I want us to see is that friend, there's just a beauty and a goodness to friendship. You know, I think we often lose this in our culture. We lose this in our culture sometimes. Now look, I, I'm a huge proponent of marriage. Actually, the book of Ephesians is, if you read the book of Ephesians, the letter in the New Testament right before this one, it talks about how marriage is the pillar of the church, how the marriage between a husband and wife is a picture of God's love for the church, God's covenant relationship with the church. But I think sometimes we lose or minimize or dilute the importance of friendship. Philippians is really a message about the beauty, the goodness of friendship and saying that marriage is not the only path to undergird, not the only pillar underneath holding up Christian community. You know, I, this last week, a friend of mine called me at uh, 11 on a Monday morning and he said, uh, Hey, there's this movie showing. Uh, how'd you like to meet me for a movie at 3 o'clock? I'm thinking, I gotta work, dude. You know, this is a work day for me. I don't know what it is for you, but this is a work day, you know? And honestly, in my 30s and 40s, I would have said, uh, no, can we reschedule? You know, but um, now in my 50s, I'm like, I don't have that many chances to just drop an afternoon of work and just go hang out with a friend. This is a good thing. So I played hooky. Uh, don't tell anybody, Jeremy. Okay. Um, but um, I took vacation time. Um, but, um, you know, there is goodness to just being with a friend. That is a good thing. That is one of God's good gifts. The second thing I want to talk about is the mission of friendship. See, because... There is this tension in, in Christian community, in Christian friendship. There's this tension between just the goodness and value and beauty of friendship in and of itself, like art, you know, like contemplative prayer. It doesn't really accomplish anything necessarily, but it's just good. It's just a good thing. And you don't have to justify it. So there's a tension between that and there's a tension between Christian friendship is also about mission. It's also about doing something together for someone to change the world for Christ's sake. Think about how radical this is in our culture, okay? You know, I don't know who's, if anybody's watching March Madness, but I have seen probably 27 Buffalo Wild Wings commercials, okay? And they're always guys with a few women, okay, hanging around at Buffalo Wild Wings, watching sports, drinking beer, eating wings, okay? That's pretty much it. Um, 
Think of another example from our culture. The show, TV show Seinfeld, okay? Still one of my favorite shows, okay? What's it about? It's a show about nothing. But that's not really true because it really is a show about friends. And they're dysfunctional and they're neurotic and they're narcissistic and they really don't care about anybody else, but they're kind of there for each other, you know? And that's really what the show is about. It's really about their kind of low-level friendship for each other, okay? <laughs> you know, think of another phrase in our culture, friends with benefits, okay? Friends with sexual relationship, but no intimacy, no commitment. Well, in the Christian community, we have something um, very different than friends with benefits. It's called friends with mission, Okay? Um, and the mission is centered around Christ. Remember uh, in a couple weeks ago, Father Aaron, you probably preached on chapter 1, where Paul says he's in prison, doesn't know whether he's going to live, doesn't know whether he's going to die, but he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In chapter 3, he says, you know, the most important thing in me, I just, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ better. I want to be I want to know more about his resurrection power. I want to know more about the fellowship of his sufferings. Um, and that's mission. And look, look at how he, he refers to Timothy in verses 19. He says, I hope to in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Paul says, I have no one like Timothy. I love having him around. He's like my son in the faith. But I'm going to send him hundred miles away, even though I really want him. I really want to hang out with him. I love being with this guy. But I'm going to send him to you because I want you to be encouraged by him. And I want to find out what's going on with you guys. Same thing with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was um, in the congregation, and he traveled halfway across the country, left his nice cozy group of friends, left his nice cozy church environment, and went to be with Paul. See, friends, there's a mission in friendship. And again, that draws on who Christ is and what he's done for us. And when you're captivated by that vision of Christ... It just becomes very natural to say, you know, we're, it's not just about us, friends, doing nothing, hanging out with each other. It's not just uh, Buffalo Wild Wings kind of uh, image of friendship, but it's friends who have a mission. Now, the beauty of what you guys are doing here in Uptown is, like, you guys are very clear on your mission. You are planting a church in a neighborhood, you know, where there's... Not an Anglican presence for Christ. And you, your mission is just so clear. A lot of churches lose their mission. You guys are like mission high. You're like mission aware. So, I mean, I just want to encourage you guys. You have like a natural, natural place to dig in. Um, the third thing about friendship is that there's risks of friendship. Now... Again, we assume that friendship can be very easy. It's very cozy. We're sitting by the fire. We're drinking a Starbucks latte together, you know, and we're talking about our life and sharing prayer requests. And that's like friendship, you know. And that's part of friendship, but that's only part of it. Because there's another part of friendship that we see in this passage, and that is that real friends sometimes, not all the time, not every day, but sometimes they need to do kind of crazy things for each other, um, kind of wacky. As Bishop Stewart says, the bishop of our uh, diocese says, sometimes we have to do things that are 
worldly irresponsible, but kingdom responsive. I love that phrase. So it's worldly irresponsible, so it could look, that's crazy. Why did you do that? But it's kingdom responsive. It's a response to who Jesus is, the vision of Jesus that we see earlier in Philippians. Where do we see that in this passage? Well, Epaphroditus. Here's the story behind Epaphroditus, okay? So again, the church in Philippi knew that Paul was in prison, so they wanted to send him a gift to encourage him. So we don't know what happened, we don't know the backstory, but at some point, Epaphroditus said, I'll go. Now I can imagine Epaphroditus' and his mother going, are you crazy, son? You can't do that. You can't, you can't do that. You're going to get hurt. Something bad's going to happen. Something terrible's going to happen to you. And his father might have said, well, Epaphroditus, um, I'll wait. you got to think about your career, son. I mean, this is going to like take a year off your career. Now, I don't know if all moms and dads are like that. I might be just projecting my experience, okay? But at some point, he decided probably against what looked very irresponsible, he said, I'm going to go. Well, here's what happened. Along the way, somewhere in the journey, and it was a long journey, it was not an easy journey, not an easy trek. Somewhere along the way, he got really sick, and he almost died. And we, where we see that in verse 27, Paul says, um, he was, you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. That's the language of friendship. That's the language of friendship. Um, so at some point, if you're going to befriend somebody, you're going to have to take some risks. Now, it's really interesting here where Paul says, he says, receive him in the Lord with all joy, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You know, um, the word that Paul used there for risking his life is a Greek word that literally means he played the gambler. It's a term for gambling. He gambled. He like rolled the dice. It's like, I'm going to risk it all to go and be with my friend Paul. Let me just tell you a story about um, a friend of mine named John. And John Hurtado was an older guy in my church in uh, Long Island where I was pastoring. And um, this was about five years ago. Uh, my whole life kind of unraveled, um, and it's a long story, and you don't need to know the whole story, but it has a pretty happy ending. But um, anyway, my life unraveled. Um, I resigned from my church job. Uh, my marriage unraveled. My life was pretty much a mess, and I didn't know what I wanted to do next or what I needed to do next. And I was talking to John, and John said he's one of these really direct, really straightforward um, guys, and he said, okay, Matt, uh, what are you going to do next year? And I said, well, I'm going to be, I need to stay on Long Island for another year. He said, why? And I said, well, because my son Wes is a senior in high school, and he was actually at a boarding school, so he was, he was boarding at the Stony Brook School, and where John's sons also went, and he said, uh, I said, well, Wes is going to really need me around. And John said, uh, Matt, let me tell you why Wes is going to need you. Here's why Wes is going to need you. He's going to call you on Friday night, and he's going to go, Hey, Dad, me and a couple friends, we want to have pizza. Would you mind picking up some pizza and dropping it off? Thanks, Dad. Love you, man. Okay? He said, that's really about what Wes is going to need you for. So I thought, well, that kind of hurts. But uh, 
But you know, he said, so Matt, let me ask you this. What do you want to do? What is God calling you to do? And I said, John, I want to move to Chicago. I want to go to Church of the Resurrection. I need to spend about two years healing, getting my life where it needs to be. I don't want to do any ministry. I just want to work a job, and I want to get my life on track. And he said, then do it. And I said, well, I don't have a job yet. And he said, Matt, I've known you for nine years. You're not exactly what I would call a risk taker. Just do it and trust that God is going to provide for you. John was a kind of friend that was willing to take a risk. I mean, in that instance, he was willing to risk telling me the truth. He was willing to risk me getting angry and walking out on him. He was a, take, doing a risk of maybe hurting my feelings by telling me the truth. But I'm, I probably would have made it eventually to Chicago, but I moved when I did, and things worked out the way they did, because the Lord used John to take a risk and enter into my life and speak the truth. Let me just give you two applications as I close. First of all, this whole friendship thing, begin by looking to Christ. You know, one of the beautiful things about this worship service is every Sunday we celebrate the Eucharist. I want you to know, Eucharist in one sense is a celebration of friendship. I mean, it's, it's more than that. But it's Jesus himself, the Son of God, who died for our sins, inviting us to a meal, a friendship meal, with bread and wine. He says, look, I want you to know I risked everything for you. And you come to me, and let's share a meal together. Let's, I want you to be my friend. That's the heart of the gospel. And through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus has made that possible. The second thing I really encourage you to do is to look at your friendship life. Where's it at? I mean, is it where it really needs to be? Maybe it is, and that's, that's great. But if friendships have become, you know, kind of off your radar, and you've kind of said, sad, but too bad. That's just the way life has got to be. I want to encourage you to think about how can you reorder your life? So that friends really are important to you. You know, I couldn't, I was driving up here today, and I was thinking, as I was driving up here, I was thinking, you know, when I, 10 years ago, I would have probably have preached this sermon, but I would have been a hypocrite, because I was not practicing what I'm preaching, you know. And now I can truly say, you know, I, I felt the Lord say, you can preach this sermon now. I mean, one of the benefits of my life falling apart five years ago was that friends really became important to me. I wish they were important to me when I was 35. Might have saved myself a lot of trouble. But if they're not important to you, if it's not an important part of your life, maybe the Lenten season is a time when you can start to reorder your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the friendship that Christ, the Son of God, has offered us. Thank you, the friendship that he offers us through the bread and the wine, through the Lord's Supper, through the Eucharist. Father, reorder our hearts and reorder our lives, that we would be where you need us to be in this area of friendship. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you so much, Matt. Let's respond to that encouragement, that challenge, by confessing our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. This is found on page 15. I invite you to stand with me. Confessing together. We believe in one God, the Father of the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And with all our mind, let's pray to the Lord, saying, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I'll lead a one-sentence focus for our prayers. We'll pause, and everyone can add their prayer.